Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Almost live from the trenches of New York City, here are your middle aged warriors, Chris Samino and Rick Summers. And welcome back to the Middle Age Warriors, and uh, we are here again, and you know why? Why? Because we can be. Ah. Who's going to stop us? That's what I want to (laughs) know. Mr. Rick, how are you today, sir? Mr. Chris, I am doing well. Good, good. I want to tell you that uh, after last week's show, uh, I was really blown away by some of the people who I hadn't heard from in a long time who reached out to say how touched they were, especially by the stories you told uh, in dealing with loss, in dealing with uh, Catherine Craig, uh, your former colleague at Channel 4. Yeah, I mean, the responses were very, you know, delicate, to say the least, and very honest and genuine and, and heartwarming because it did move people. And the thing that I liked about it, everything, you know, in terms of the feedback we got, people looked at us and that show as it helped them. It, it, it was a place for them to sort of lean on and feel, I'm okay feeling this way, yeah. and I'm going to get over this because I'm hearing stories of how you do get over this. And and that was important to me, that that message came across. And I think we did a good job at least with I that. I think it's uh, just our experience in life and the fact that you and I are not afraid pretty much to disclose mm. what, we're, what we're feeling, which is kind of what we built the premise of the show on. Right. And I think that's the thing that most people do struggle with is coming to terms with being honest with themselves, honest with the feelings they have. You know, when something like that happens and you suffer a loss, you think, you know, well, this is the way I'm supposed to feel, but what's wrong with me? I'm not feeling this way at this point. It's a process and it can be a long process and a long journey for some people. And some people, it it moves along a little bit faster and some people ignore it. And then it comes back and bites you in the ass years later and you can't figure out why do I have this anger or why do I, why do I have the inability to get into another relationship or relate to people? Well, I don't way? think there's a playbook. No. You know, and, and that's frustrating because I think, you know, more often than not, we want some kind of guide that we can follow. Right. You look for a textbook. But what I found most helpful to me was reading about other people's journeys and the honesty about it. And you hear all of the different situations that happen to people when they're dealing with loss. And everybody's story is different. But it makes you feel, well, if I don't quite fit into this mold of how I'm responding and or recovering from the loss, then there's something wrong with me. No, there's nothing wrong with you. This is you. And this is how you go about doing it. So I'm glad that that did help. You know, I just want to say, Mm -hmm. when I was in graduate school many, many moons ago, uh, one of the electives that I was able to take was on loss, Mm -hmm. on death and loss. But the but the point about all of that is again the, you know my concern at first was that the topic of the show was a little down and kind of sad but it is a reality of what happens particularly you know when you're in your middle age you start to lose some people around you and learning how to cope with and deal with that is is a very important part of progressing and growing as a human being. So, you know, I, I hope, and I at least we heard back from a few people that it yeah. seems to be, it was a helpful show for them. So, you yeah. know, that's the good news out of that. But, but. How, about, how about we're upbeat today? Let's, 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 let's be upbeat. I'm good with that. All right. Well, the Believe Podcast Network, which is where you could hear our show every week. Also, uh, there's a lot of shows, and that's really kind of how the network was spawned, from what I understand. A lot of sports-oriented shows, like right. team shows. So uh, today we have a special guest. Now, he's moved beyond, but he is all about sports. <laughs> Wait, careful when you say he's moved beyond. Beyond sports. To the great he's beyond. He's still here. Yeah. Uh, we're going to get to him. He's standing by waiting in the wings. I'm going to find out if he's still here in just a second. 
Well, here he is patiently waiting, as we said, waiting in the wings. And uh, this guy, well, he does need an introduction because that's just the way he is. But no, uh, <laughs> he's an Emmy Award winning sportscaster, author of six books, a mere 50 years uh, broadcasting career across all sports and then some. And now he is a uh, host, a co-host of a talk show on WR Radio here in New York with uh, Michael Rydell. It's Len Berman. Len, welcome to the show. Uh, nice to see you. I, I I think we first met you were what twelve years old. Yeah, <laughs> I'll buy a true story. As long as I, I say you were thirty. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, that was a that was a funny story. Do you know the whole story here? And I was doing I this thing. I was doing this thing called Sports Fantasy on Channel Four. Uh, no, was it, it was Channel Two or Four? It was CBS. Channel oh, CBS. Mm-hmm. So I get this. Uh, email from a kooky lady that she wants to challenge one of the New Jersey Nets to a game of horse. Guy's name was Mike Newland. I think she had a crush on him. Yeah. And, uh, he wasn't a, wasn't a very handsome guy to begin with, but then again, anyway, uh, so we take her out to the shoot and this little kid shows up and it's, it's, uh, it's her kid cousin. It's this guy. Really? Yes. Yeah. Wow. Well, Is that amazing? I made my television debut. What they did was uh, they, they did some cutaways. I was, sitting on the, in the bleachers just watching uh-huh. and at one point i guess i was chewing my fingernails and len being nice. clever said this is really a nail biter and they took a tight shot <laughs> ah, see that's me so <laughs> i wonder how i lasted 50 years uh yeah. it's amazing you still remember that story and then just just a mere few years later which would have been i guess 1995 was when i first met you back over at wnbc uh let me ask you this We'll jump right into where you are right now. So now you're in the radio world from the TV. Yeah. That unto itself is a huge, a huge. Yeah. Thing. But now you're living not quite as bad, but almost the life that I lived for over 25 years. Yeah. Early mornings. Yeah. You are night. You are night owl. What is? I was it? night. Yeah. What is? It's like unbelievable. No, it's it's like a, it's it was a whole different world, and it's it's not. You know, the the instant I wake up at 4 a.m., I go. Oh, you know, and then 30 seconds later, I'm good. You have a little coffee and off you go. And then at 10 in the morning, I'm done. Right. So I'm having lunch at uh, at uh, 1030 yeah. a.m. And my two and a half year old grandson who lives with it, you know, we have a COVID family living with us. Oh, my wow. daughter and son-in-law and grandson, grandson, you're having lunch, Papa? I mean, you know, he's just, uh, he just had, he just had breakfast. And I'm at, anyway, it's, it's a whole topsy-turvy. Yeah, and your day starts at 4 a.m. that happens. It's interesting because uh, I used to do mornings, and I'm convinced it shaves years off the end of your life. Great. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry about that. Sorry. I'll no, tell I you what shaves back. years off your life. No, off the, the end of my life, not yours. Well, well what's interesting is, you know, Chris, uh, you're a big sports fan, big Mets fan, if I remember correctly. Yeah. You know, As was Rick. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, sports fans are nuts, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Try politics fans. So I jump into this dopey radio. It's a political show. Right. You know, I yeah. jump, in, jump into the show and you got Donald Trump. Now you got to understand from 6 a.m. to 9 p.m. There are, I don't know how many personalities or, or people on this radio station, WOR. I'm the only one who leans left. And yeah. you can imagine oh, how much the audience just loves me. And, and, I, you know, I, I, and I've discussed this on the air. You know, sometimes they call me a moron and sometimes they call me an idiot. And I'm trying to decide... You know, what's the, is idiot hot? Is that, a, is that, a, have I improved? Is one uh, better than the other, really? Idiot? You're a morion. Uh, but, you know, was, that was one of the big questions I was going to ask you because you're jumping from, let me ask you why you did it in the first place. What, like, what were you thinking? Is this something you really wanted to try to sort of 
break out of that sports mold, be part of a bigger picture uh, where your voice could be heard on different topics, or did it just no. kind of fell in place? I just, I thought I'd like to get a paycheck again. So what yeah, happened yeah. was, <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I was re basically retired for a few years and I was writing books and I was doing a blog. And my wife said, you gotta, you gotta get out of the house. You gotta get out of here. You gotta get out of your PJs. <laughs> so I was, we're actually, I, I, we were pitching a TV show, a sports show to channel 13. And I thought that was going to be, that was going to work. I, it was going to be, you know, we interviewed that. We did some sample interviews and one of them was with Mrs. Uh, Jackie Robinson. And one was with mm -hmm. the late ah. David Stern. We did some nice interviews. Said, okay. We're going to do kind of a, just a highbrow kind of sports approach. And I thought that was really going to click. And I got this call out of the blue uh, from WOR. And the guy says, uh, do you want to fill in on the radio? And I said, oh, you want to do sports? He said, no. This guy, this program director, had seen me in Boston, which I was a sportscaster. But he also saw me on Live at Five, Chris. And a lot of times on Live at Five, we would riff about anything. Right. And this, this program director was convinced that I could do more than just talk about sports. And, he, and so that's how it evolved. And... You know, and, and I auditioned and there were several people involved and they said, OK, you're hired. But the weird thing was the guy said to me after he hired me. So what's what's your politics? Which I thought was a really weird question because it's a listen, this is the radio station that had the late Rush Limbaugh and uh, has Sean Hannity. Mm -hmm. yeah, I don't want anyone leaning left. I mean, but it's worked. It really has. I'm working. This, this Michael Riedel is, is a Broadway columnist or has been for The Post and has written right. some books. And we just have, we, we fight like cats and dogs, but we really like each other, which is nice. Because before he was there, I'm not going to mention names, but there was another guy I worked with for three years. Yes, uh, and, I'm well uh, aware. <laughs> and uh, and uh, uh, we basically hated each other and wanted to kill each other at every time. Oh, nice. So, yeah, it was it a lovely makes, relationship. You know what, Len, that always makes for great radio. Yeah, we only talked on the air. Never, never. I realized about a week in that he didn't say good morning to me. And I said, okay, this is going to be fun. And uh, so anyway. I was only in one of those situations one time. Uh, I'm not going to mention names either. A morning combination of anchors that we had that, that issue. And I, to me personally, that was a terribly uncomfortable environment to work in. But, you know, you brought something up and I did a little research and then it kind of clicked in my head. I had to shake the old brain cells. But mm -hmm. there was a little stretch where they were rotating anchors uh, live at five. I think Jim Rosenfield was gone and you had anchored Live at Five with Sue Simmons a few times, didn't you? I did. I, I did a Live at Five, and I really liked it. And you know Dan Foreman, who's now over at yeah. CBS. He was sure. our boss at Channel 4. And uh, I, I said, Dan, this would be great. I, I, I'd like to do it, but I want to do my show. I, I had this. Now, now it's, it sounds like anybody could. But I wanted to do a show that was kind of like uh, Nightline, but I wanted to do it at, uh, at 5 o'clock. And now, you know, it's not unlike what CNN does anyway or yeah. Fox News. But I wanted to. That was kind of a novel idea. And, and Dan said to me, uh, we don't have the people who could pull off the kind of show you want to do. And that was the end of it. But I had really strong feelings. Now, I would sit in the, in the meetings. They would discuss stories. And they'd say, OK, we're going to do uh, we're going to do 30 seconds on the, fly, the flights that are making noise over Queens. I said, so I said, why are you doing 30 seconds? I mean, go talk to the people. And what are they upset about? And, you know, what? You, no, we just we just we just want to we want to show uh, channel uh, two and seven. We know about the story, but we don't really want to. Do this. <laughs> <laughs> well, so weird, weird yeah. stuff. And I said, you know, and I said, well, I want to do a show where I do that story. And then 30 minutes later, I mean, this doesn't I mean, sound silly, but 30 minutes later, I'd like to bring back one of the people who was in the tape piece and have them live. And I want to do that kind of relaxed, free form kind of newscast, which I thought would have been rather than just 
voiceover soundbite, voiceover soundbite, voiceover. Here's the weather. Uh, no offense, Chris. No, I hear you. Know, <laughs> burnt me out of doing 36 weather hits a morning. So bad. Hey, you know what I, I wanted to ask you? By the way, I see the morning show on Channel 4. It's the only, I've never watched the evening news on Channel 4 since I've left. And now it's going on. Uh, 12 years oh, yeah. and I yeah. do see the morning show you know I see them and I, and it's the same thing I mean it's like uh, you know here are the top news stories let's do the weather I said what you know you just want to scream I mean I mean no again no offense Chris but uh, you know I, you know if there's a lead story out of the impeachment let's not go to the weather first okay hey you know what Len I wanted to ask you because you uh, went to a, a highly celebrated school with a broadcast history in that at Syracuse University. Did you do radio when you were a student at SU or not? Yeah, I did. That was the first, that's how I got into this. The first day on campus, I walked up to the college radio station, knocked on the door and they weren't open yet for the year. And, uh, <laughs> but this is a true, I did, by the way, I'll, I'll tell you the Syracuse angle with the sports cast. Every, you know, every sports cast you ever heard of went to Syracuse from Bob Costas. Or Ithaca where I went. Started. Was that? I went to Ithaca and you know, I was going to say Ithaca, you, you know, a lot of people, friends of mine. <laughs> no, that's not, nothing wrong with Ithaca, but you know, just tell them you went to Cornell. They don't know. They're not going right. to. Right. <laughs> that's true. So anyway, uh, all of us went to Syracuse. So I love to talk to alumni groups and they'll say, uh, you know, how come all of you sportscasters and Marty Glick, the late, great Marty Glickman right. was, the, was the mentor for, for everyone. And actually Marv went to Syracuse because of Marty. I never went there for sportscasting or, to follow the other guys, but it just turned out that way. Dumb luck. But the last week in alumni groups is said, well, why, why are all these sportscasters from Syracuse? So I give it the old professorial thing. And I said, well, you know, none of us could get into Cornell. So that's about all wound up there. But true story about the campus radio station. I walked in there, said I wanted to be a, a jock. And they said, uh, well, everyone wants to do that. Uh, we need someone to read the scores on Saturday night. And really? I swear to God, you guys are going to say I'm making this up. I said, I can do that. I thought you had to be, uh, when I was growing up, the, the guys doing the sports news in New York City were all former giants like Pat Summerall and right. Pat Gifford and Kyle Rote. And, mm -hmm. and I thought either you had to be a genius about sports or your, your, your dad on the, t the radio. That's the only way you could do. And, and I, now I really thought you had to really be smart. Now, as you and I and all of us know, any idiot could be on the air. I mean, look at us. So that's. Well, with that, let me ask you. So, I mean, I know people who, young people uh, trying to come up in the business now and in sports, they are these sports weenies. I mean, they know everything, yeah. every little nook and cranny of history, currently what's going on, et cetera, et cetera. Where did the passion grow or did, did the job, did you grow into the job or did the job grow into you? How did that actually work? Well, I, it's, it's, that's a great question. And I and I was not a sports fanatic. And to this day, I'm not a sports fanatic. Really? In fact, I was once at spring training and I uh, asked Al Troutwood, you know, Al does oh, yeah. oh, yeah. it, it's done work for MSG. And, and I said to Al, at a, at a Yankee preseason, whatever, I said, Al, do you love sports? And he looked at me like I was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> but... I was I always kind of like the stories and, and as Chris probably knows 
I kind of fancied myself more as a producer than as an announcer. I, so I kind of back, you know, I was happy in the early days of sportscasting. If I wasn't seen on camera, I liked to produce the video and find something interesting. And that led into the sports fantasy bit that led into spanning the world bloopers. I, I really fancied myself more of as, as a producer. And that's what Marty Glickman always said about me too. He said, boy, the guy could be a good producer. And I, and so I, I, that's how I kind of like the story storytelling. That's why I enjoyed covering the Olympics. So it was more that I really didn't care. I couldn't name the first three centers on the New York Rangers hockey team. But, uh, you know, I, I enjoyed the uh, the drama. Hey, Land, I wanted to ask you, I mean, of all the sports that you've covered in New York, Boston, right. elsewhere, what's the greatest story that you have told in your life from a sports standpoint? I'm just Well, that's, that's a great question. Because people ask me, what were the greatest sports moments in New York? And, you know, we were fortunate. You know, when I first got here, the Islanders won four straight right. Stanley Cups. And yeah. The Rangers have won a cup and the Devils won a couple. You had the Yankees, the Mets in the 86 World Series. Truthfully, the most exciting moment for me was June 14th, 1994, which was what, Chris? Your birthday. And your birthday. And your birthday. And oh, birthday. wow. It's my son's birthday as well. You guys, And Donald Trump's. Well, okay. Well, two out of three, but yes, the New York Rangers finally broke the snide from 1940 and won the Stanley Cup. And guess, after all the years, I would sit in the blue seats and root those SOBs on. Where was I? Working at the NBC affiliate in Cincinnati, Ohio. Really? Well, I was. Here's where I was. I'm back where you can smell the elephants. So I'm like behind <laughs> behind the ice at Madison Square Garden because I'm yeah. cutting in, I'm doing these little live shots to Channel 4. So the moment they clinched and everyone's going crazy, they're on the ice, you know, I'm back behind the scenes. But that's where one of the most surreal moments ever happened to me. So that's where they brought the players for these uh, interviews. So they bring Brian Leach, great defenseman, and they bring him in for an interview. And just while he's doing his interview, President Clinton calls him. And I'm sitting here. And I'm smelling elephants. And uh, and Clinton is calling Brian Leach. And I'm saying, woohoo, I'm in another universe. But here's the thing about that night when they clinched. Because the year before, the Canadians had clinched. Their 100th Stanley Cup, whatever. You know, all those things. Exactly. 20 and they, and they rioted and broke windows on St. Catherine Street. Right, I remember. Saying, oh, when the, when the Rangers, oh, my God, we have to have security. Man, it was a beautiful night. It was the most peaceful night in New York City. There were no arrests. It was a, just a wonderful night. You know, Len, I would think you were reading my notes because I wrote, and Chris will vouch for me on this, uh, something very significant, uh, significant happened on your 47th birthday, wow. June 14th, 1994. Hint, 1940. And I had the good fortune of being a Rangers season ticket holder that oh. year. And I was at that game and, and all the games in between. And I will tell you, uh, I, th I think of the sign that guy held that now I can die in peace. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and um, as a, a lifelong Ranger fan, uh, I never really took to the Islanders, though I spent my right. first job out of college working in radio out on Long Island, but I was always rooting for the Rangers, and 1994 is still one of the highlights of my life. It's amazing. I mean, you know, there was there were great moments. You know, the ball goes through Mookie's leg. Yeah. Uh, David Tyree makes that catch off his yeah. helmet. Uh, the Yankees, 96 champions. Well, I can't believe now it's 25 years ago. I know. That was just, that's just unbelievable. But those are some unbelievable moments that I was actually there seeing right. Th and, and I still 
I still maintain the Rangers winning the cup that night was just uh, I thought it was the that's, number one. That, that's awesome to hear. I, I would think on the list would have been meeting Chris Cimino at City Field uh, during a Met game, but apparently it's not one of your highlights. Uh, no, as a teenager at a sports fantasy shoot, that's where I met that's you. Where you're <laughs> but let me ask you this. So let's go back to the, the contrast of, of radio and television. And if somebody had to ask you when you had to answer, what's one of the things you really loved about television and then on the other side didn't like about it and the same about radio? What do you like about doing radio and not like about it? Wow. What I loved about television, um, I wish I could tell you. I, 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 you know, I, I, <laughs> it was a great job. I got to go on the Tonight Show and the Conan yeah. O'Brien Show. So those were kind of the real perks of being on television. Uh, what I didn't like was just the confining. I mean, you know, yeah. it's just you only have a couple of minutes, and you know, it was just okay. I mean, it's not the amount of time; it's what you do with it. So, but but towards the end, as you know, Chris, uh, they were taking away editors, edit rooms. Oh, yeah. They took away our offices. Really, that well, that showed me they took my office <laughs> away. All right, well, that'll make them humble. Uh, it was just. It wasn't fun behind the scenes. And I couldn't say that to anybody because, you know, my day job is I'm going to Yankee Stadium interviewing Derek Jeter. Now, you try explaining that to a sports fan. Wow, I have a lousy, that's not a fun job. And they'll think you're nuts. You know, they think you have the greatest job in the world. Now, the great thing about radio is, as you can see, I, I can wear whatever I want. And, yeah. uh, you know, and you could just uh, hang around in your uh, leisure pants. And, uh, and you have just, you could say whatever you want. I mean, it's like, Television was kind of confining, you know, you didn't want to piss anyone off. Now I just don't care. And, uh, you, just, you know, you, boy, when I start off on Trump or on the Republicans, uh, you should see the phones light up. And, and, and someone someone wrote an email the other day. I don't know. They said I was, I forget. The, the, the punchline was they thought I was uh, dead from the neck up. Which I thought was just a lovely compliment. To you. <laughs> well, and, that's, and that's the thing. And that's, uh, I just recently, because I'm, you know, when you're unemployed, so to speak, you're, you're blogging, you're podcasting, which you've been through that process. But I, I wrote a blog recently about that. It's one thing to have differencing, uh, different opinions or differing uh, views politically on where we should be and how different right. elements of this country should be run. That's fine. That's what this country is all about. Exactly. But, but the name calling, the ugliness, the the vitriol, the, the, everything's with anger. I know. Oh, talk to me. Tell me why you think we're heading towards communism and socialism. Really tell me why you think that. What are the examples you're seeing? And then maybe I can come back with something and we can have a conversation. But that's <laughs> gone. People are enjoying being angry. And but that's not everybody. Clever name call. That's not everybody. Because I, I do have several lists. They're my favorites. They'll email me. They'll call me. They'll, they'll say, you know, I don't agree with a single thing you say, but I like you. That's good. And yeah. those those are my absolutely favorite uh, interactions. We have people who call, we have a truck driver from Georgia calls up and, and jokingly, hey, you make me want to drive off the road later. Then he toots his horn. He says, love you, guy. And, you know, <laughs> he's done with his that's, phone that's call. Fun. That's just, that's almost using it as good fun. But again, from your perspective, I, I remember, I saw something recently when I was trying to research some of the things you've been doing on social media. And... I don't know whether or not you're backing away from social media or not, but it was one of the last posts, and it looked like it took place several months ago on Facebook, where somebody was criticizing you for having an opinion about taking a knee during the national anthem in the NFL. What what was that all about, and and why did that irk you so much? Well, I think why I posted that, I I don't remember, because I have backed away from Facebook, and I do a few tweets. I find every time I I tweet something, I lose a follower. So I don't know (laughs) know how that stuff works. 
No, I think I think I was making the point that you were making, Chris, is that people are just so angry all the time. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the, the knee taking, I understand completely, but and I don't I don't necessarily agree with it, but I understand why they do it. And I and I'm not opposed to separating sports from politics. You know, if they want to go knee in the locker room or on their Tuesday day off in football that's fine but i don't i don't think people you know coming to the game you know want to be subjected to that so it's not that i'm I, and i don't think it's un-american because it is american to protest in your country so i'm i have a lot of mixed feelings about it and just like in sports in politics i understand all sides of the issue and it really annoys the people i work with because they'll say <laughs> get off the fence permit you know <laughs> but i do understand both sides of, of the argument Hey, I want to take a brief moment to talk about our newest sponsor, eBay. Whether rare dead stock or the latest release, find the exact shoe you're looking for. Now, as the original sneaker marketplace, eBay is the place to go to cop that pair you've been eyeing. With eBay's authenticity guarantee, your sneakers are meticulously inspected by independent professional authenticators. A team. I mean, we've got a team of experienced sneaker authenticators verifying the box, logo, stitching, and dozens of other inspection points. Each sneaker also receives an authenticity guarantee tag that includes a digital stamp of authenticity. And it also protects sellers with a verified return process. And for sneaker sellers out there, eBay has eliminated selling fees on sneakers over $100, making it free, free, that's always a good word, free to sell or flip your collection. So go to ebay.com sneakers. That's ebay.com sneakers today. eBay the world's best destination for discovering great value and unique selection. Um, I wanted to ask you when you were a kid and growing up, what did you think you wanted to be when you grew up? If you grew up. I had up? no idea. And it bothered me for the longest time. It, I do remember being in junior high school and having absolutely no idea. So my parents took me to this uh, uh, place called Johnson O'Connor where they gave you aptitude tests. And they decided that because I was very strong in math and science and because I had an introverted personality that I should uh, be an engineer. So I actually went to Syracuse. I applied to Syracuse, Cornell, and Penn. In those days, you would apply to three colleges and City College. So my three were Syracuse, Cornell, and Penn. I got into one of them on the waiting list, I think. Might have been Cornell, but I didn't get in. And Syracuse, I got in as an engineer. But as I said, I had this I had a high school English teacher who told me I had a good voice, which I never, which just blew me. I never, I never, <laughs> never thought, I never even thought of my, I never thought of anything. I was a kid. And so he said, you have a good voice. And it turned out uh, he was one of the actors who founded the uh, Roundabout Theater, my English teacher. His really? name was Sterling Jensen. Wow. And he was obviously an actor who needed work. And so he taught English in high school to, to make a few bucks. He told me, you got to get that voice out of your diaphragm and through and you got to be an actor and I, I knew I knew damn well I wasn't gonna be an actor but I, so I kind of sort of gravitated toward radio I used to this is weird Chris Chris may be can relate but I used to sit in my room in Queens and, and dial up radio stations from long distance places and I'd write down the list of stations you could pick up WLW in Cincinnati and yeah. ABKA in Pittsburgh and I would listen to the ball games the different announcers so I was kind of intrigued by radio and that's that's how I kind of stumbled into the radio station at Syracuse even though I was an engineering student and and the rest is really history but guys I, I seriously had no idea what I wanted to do with yeah. my and a ball it really bothered me. But that's how, you know, for me, and, you know, Rick was in radio. But for Same me, thing, yeah. I started in radio. And it's funny when you mentioned WLW, because I eventually when I was in Cincinnati, I got to do the weather on that station. 
for about a year and a half. And that Powerhouse. was a great thrill. That was a big thrill for me. Powerhouse. Yeah. yeah, compared to being on the television station, which was actually where Jerry Springer was the anchor. He had just left maybe yeah. three months before I got there. But to go back to your other point. Wait, I got to cut you off for a second because I my first TV job was Dayton, Ohio, oh, where the local okay. talk show was the Phil Donahue show. Wow. Really? Uh, wow. And I, was that WDT? Well, it was WLWD. Okay. At that time, it was the AFCO broadcast. It was WWD Dayton, WLWI Indianapolis, and of course, WLW Cincinnati. And they had a Columbus station. But I, uh, there was a, I, I was doing news because I really couldn't find a sports job anywhere. I was doing news in Dayton, Ohio. And a sports job opened up on the weekends on Channel 9 in Cincinnati. And I said, well, there you go. And I didn't get the job. I was crushed, and I thought I'd never get out of Dayton, Ohio. Anyway, I interrupted something you were saying. No, but going back to your point before about, and one of the things I've always admired, uh, this is the part where we kiss your butt, but over the years, you know, in watching you as a kid growing up when I was watching you and then actually working on stuff. But um, I felt like I realized the Len Berman on camera reporting sports is Len Berman. That's the guy that you've got to talk to in the hallway after the show or before the show. It's the same guy. And I love that because that's what I always try to be as close to who I am. There's energy involved. There's the ability to communicate that's involved. That's the focus. But but be you doing that job. Don't play the part of. Now, in radio, and we're seeing it in in television, too, you don't have to mention any names, but do you feel like a lot of these folks, whether it's a talk show, whether it's something on CNN, MSNBC, Fox News, they're playing the part. They've created a character that's not even them totally any longer they're they, right. they go on air and they flip this switch but really they're cartoon characters well the ideology chris to show you how stupid i am i believed no i believe these characters yeah without mentioning names and then you know people i work with say you know you don't think they believe everything they say do you and like a light bulb went off because i did i'm an idiot you know <laughs> I'm a listener. i said oh that guy thinks this but i realized that yes many people are that's the beauty that's the beauty of being the only guy leaning left on my radio station. I can say exactly what I think. No one's ever told me, gee, you really have to defend this position, that position. No one's ever said a word. I can just say whatever I want, which I think is just remarkable. And that's why I kind of really like what I'm doing. So yeah, that's a good point, Chris, about uh, people not, and I, and I always felt in in sportscasting, I couldn't, um, I couldn't be an actor. I couldn't start yelling and you know, this, I never used it. By the way, I never used the cliche. There's another one. And that came from Marty Glickman. Marty Glickman came to speak to us. At Sy- I invited him to speak to, to us at Syracuse. And he said, um, you know, you never hear a football player saying, uh, look at me, I'm toting my pigskin to pay dirt. You know? <laughs> <laughs> He's carrying the ball. And consequently, I have never used the cliche in all these years. I've never even said nightcap for the second game of a doubleheader. Right. It's the second game of a doubleheader. Don't give me, whoever wait, says, wait, wait. oh guys, how'd the, how'd the Mets do with the nightcap, Chris? No one talks like that. That's true. Like, that's true. That, that, to me, that's like uh, newscasters who say, uh, talking about a fire and they, they, they rely on the word blaze. And that drives me insane because in, everyday language nobody says blaze right so right. no, i agree yeah. with that no yeah. i agree i agree i say that, i mean marty said if you're gonna go on the air speak english and we all went huh ah, well ah. that's what he meant you know just 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 talk and that and that kind of framed my the on-air portion of what i was doing as i said i like the production angle behind the scenes but what framed what i was doing on the air was just kind of talking now you know when i first started out if we look at some of the tapes you said well this guy's brain dead 
because I was really just, you know, kind of talking like I'm talking to you. But, you know, I, I kind of, there is some, you know, there is some acting involved because Hello. you got to pretend, you have to pretend you're not reading the teleprompter when you really are. And that, there is some acting in that. There really is. Yeah, I mean, that was the one perspective, to be honest, from doing weather, which is entirely ad lib. Yes. I'm so conditioned to doing that that when I had to read the teleprompter, I think I really sucked at what I was doing because I was I was reading and I couldn't. It was very hard for me to separate that yeah. reading to a natural cadence of speaking. That, to go back to my natural cadence. Well, let me ask you this though. So is and nobody got hurt. That's not a cliche. Then we right. <laughs> is that okay? The well, well, I'll tell you how that came about. So I'm doing this thing called spanning the world. Al Roker sitting next to me. And uh, as you know, he's just, he's just a hoot. You know, Al could just look at you and I would break out laughing. In fact, one night we left the 11 o'clock news and, and there was a wide shot of the studio. Al takes the Channel 4 off the wall on the wide shot and walks <laughs> out with it. Nobody said a word. And I was just, I thought that was the, just the funniest thing I ever saw. Anyway, he would just, he would crack. So anyway, we would do this thing and it became obvious that in sports bloopers, you know, someone takes a, a shot in the nuts or someone or falls off the runs into a slope. wall. Yeah. You know, so I just, I, I just threw it out there uh, and, you know, and he wasn't hurt or whatever. And the truth of the matter was, <clears throat> if he was hurt, we had no idea because, you know, we weren't going to call some <laughs> hospital Lichtenstein. So we did the, uh, we did the uh, journalistic uh, thing and we just lied. And we said, oh, nobody got hurt. So, so it became a thing. So every time I would start to say, and nobody got hurt, Roker would say it at the same time. Uh, so that's how it became a shtick. So yes, you're right. It was a cliche. Hey, Len, I wanted to ask you, of all the people that you've crossed paths with yeah. in your career, is there anybody that you've interviewed or been interviewed by that's intimidated you? What, what's one of those times that you were like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm here. Well, um, I, I, well, being on the Letterman show, I mean, he brought me on once over at Channel 4. And right. by the way, talking about Roker, <clears throat> I would always say he's the second quickest guy I ever met in my life. I mean, he's just, you know, his brain is lightning, Chris, as you well know. Oh, yeah. Lightning. Um, it's lightning, all right. <laughs> just boom. I mean, he's got, he's got an ad, he, he, boom, he's got. But the fastest guy, uh, Roker, was, was Letterman. I was yeah. just blown away. Now, Letterman was a strange guy, as you know. I mean, I, I talked to him more on the air than off, and we sh we were in the next studio. So yeah. Uh, so, but he was really yeah. I was intimidated by that. I don't think I was ever so nervous in my life as when I went on his show. Although the time I was Leno brought me on when I wrote a book, and uh, this was a funny story. So I'm in one dressing room, all by myself. I mean, and there's a bathroom there, and every two seconds I'm going to pee because I am so goddamn nervous. <laughs> and they they put out all these drink, uh, soda and, and Danish and and fruit, and I'm too nervous. And in the next dressing room is Diane Lane, who turned out to be a lovely woman. Oh. She has 17 assistants stuffing her into her. You know, <laughs> and I'm standing all. And here's the thing. Leno comes into my dressing room and just sits down in his jeans and starts talking to me. And I'm looking at my watch. He's like five minutes away from, from his uh, monologue. Yeah. And he just made me feel just so at ease. And I just, I always appreciated that. Oh. Where uh, Letterman, I mean, uh, you know, he wouldn't talk to you off the air. He would come yeah. see you. And it, just a different, different bird. But I thought Letterman was brilliant on the air. Let's get back to uh, sports a little bit. And fresh here in New York, obviously, uh, baseball season getting ready to start. Figures and catches down there. Uh, the New York teams. Now, I thought, I guess because I probably ran into you and had more discussions with you about the Mets, you realizing I was a Met fan, 
I thought you were a Met fan, but you're you're slant, you're a Yankee fan. You grew up a Yankee fan, right? Well, here's the thing: there were no Mets when I, you know, I'm that old. Okay? <laughs> there were no Mets, so actually. I adopted my nationally, you know, the 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 Dodgers and John. I hated Brooklyn so much, uh, I wouldn't let my parents even drive me into the borough. That's how much I hated the Brooklyn Dodgers. <laughs> wow. I told uh, Duke Snyder that story. He says, "Well, not everyone could be perfect." But it was a <laughs> but, tell my um, mom that she, she won't be a Len Berman fan anymore. But go ahead. I had I adopted the Cincinnati Reds as my National League team because of WLW Radio. And uh, so I would sit and listen to their games. And that was my, and they had great, they had Frank Robinson and Veda Pinson. They had great players. Um, and they actually got to face the Yankees in one World Series. But um, no, I grew up a Mickey Mantle fan. There were no Mets. And when the Mets came into existence, I followed them and went to the game. So, you know, I would always hear them say at WFAN, you gotta, you can't be a Yankee and a Mets fan. It's impossible. Bullshit. <laughs> I, was, I, I was a fan of both. I really was. I liked the Mets. Uh, and I was always, I, when I was doing the sports news, maybe it came through. I wanted the Mets to win because I was so tired of the Yankees. Uh, you know, they had an arrogance about themselves and they were such a pain in the ass to cover as, as a team from Reggie to yeah. Billy. To, oh, yeah. You know, oh, yeah. Jeter was a pain. Uh, A-Rod, they were, you know, they're legendary. And I once talked to the old, uh, late Haywood Hale Bruin who covered the Yankees in the 20s and 30s. He said, Babe Ruth, they were all a pain in the neck. So the Yankees <laughs> always had this corporate image that were difficult to deal with Mets were fun to deal with so I, in a way I rooted for them but I grew, did grow up a Yankee fan is there a piece of sports memorabilia that you hold especially close to your heart yeah yeah Mickey Mantle signed the ball to me to say Len thanks a lot oh wow and I never asked him what he was thanking me for and I and I realized he, he, he thanked me for caring because the very first thing I very first time I ever saw him in the um, in the old timers day I walked up to him and said Mickey I know everyone says this but uh, you were uh, my hero, and uh, it's just an honor to meet you. And I, he never forgot that. Oh my goodness! And um, so the ball that's, that says "Lead, thanks a lot" uh, means the most to me. But I hey, listen, I'm a. I got to tell you a story. I don't know if we have time, but uh, I'm I'm not a I'm not a great judge of character. Uh, uh, so I have a ball signed by Pete Rose. I think Pete should be in the Hall of Fame. So I don't have a lot of stuff. I have a few things, but. Um, so we're on a cover spring training. And at that time, it was before the Yankees went to Tampa. They were in Fort Lauderdale. The Mets were in Port St. Lucie. So I would take my family for the for the February break, and we'd stay at the Boca Beach Club, which was halfway in between. And I'd go cover the Mets and go cover the Yankees and go back and see the family. So uh, one day in the cabana next to us is a beautiful uh, young lady. And uh, I, didn't, I knew the people who had the cabana next door, but I didn't know who her guest was. And... Then her husband came back from golf. It was O.J. Simpson. And the, the beautiful oh. woman was Nicole Simpson, who I ne had never met and had a like a two minute conversation. I have no idea what we talked about. I wish I could go back and, uh, and listen to it. Anyway, so I'm talking to O.J. I've, I've known O.J. for years. The greatest, the best to deal with, with the media. Sensational. So this whole time, I must have been talking to O.J. for half an hour. People are coming up for his autograph, taking pictures. He was the best. Signing it and just personable, whatever. I turned to my uh, teenage son who was with us. I said, if you ever get to be in the public eye, this is the way you're supposed to behave. Oh, and my goodness. Four months later. <laughs> so I'm the worst judge of can. Another one is, uh, is Jason, you know, Jason Williams with the Nets. I love the guy dearly. And and he turns around and shoots his uh, his chauffeur. So I uh, well, I mean the persona, right? The persona in on the media yeah. and from you know the, what they project is one thing. The, the person can be something else. One yeah. last question before we get to the uh, the lightning round. You've called different sports, different types of sports. I know. Like, yeah. You did some Celtics work. You I did football and baseball. Big what, East. 
What's your favorite sport to call? Apparently, my uh, the dog show. I always enjoyed the dog show. Go for the dog show. <laughs> no, I. Uh, I like doing them all. I always told people I didn't want to be a baseball announcer because I didn't want to spend three nights in Milwaukee and three nights in Chicago. That didn't sound, that didn't sound exciting to me. So I, I really enjoy And In fact, the weird stuff was when I covered the Olympics and did stuff like wrestling and archery, I thought archery had the potential to be a great Olympic sport. They just marketed it all wrong. Uh, they should have had disco lights and crowd noise. <laughs> No, they should have. It was really fast. So I covered I covered biathlon one year, which I thought was fascinating. So anyway, no, I, I liked I liked covering it all. The, the most exciting single moments I had were Big East basketball games back in the day because you had Patrick Ewing, Chris Mullen. Right. Oh yeah. You know, they were in the same they had four years and they went head to head. It was a great rivalry. And uh, uh, so I I thought some of the Big East games I did were some of the best. Are you up for a little lightning round? This is how does this work? Explain this to me, because I, you know, I, I hate to say this, because you guys did a lot of great homework. I did not listen to a single podcast, so that's okay. What a schmuck okay. I am! But I don't get up at six a.m. to listen to your show. Yeah. Oh, there you go. We're <laughs> even. The lightning <laughs> round is basically there are no right answers, no wrong answers. Yeah. We just throw something out, and whatever pops into your mind, you say. It's and like glass half empty, half full. Yeah. Boom. Okay, so you want like a short answer? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Go for it. Let Chris lead off. All right. Uh, first record you ever bought? Oh God, I, I can't. There was a a novelty forty five that I bought. There was a song called Beep Beep. You have to go look it up and read about it. Beep Beep. Okay. beep. I had a car. It was a dopey little uh, novelty song, and I went out and bought it. And my and I played it for my parents. They said, "I can't believe you spent a dollar three on this." <laughs> anyway, along those lines, what was the first car you ever owned? Oh, it was the ugliest car in the world. It was. This is a funny story. So I'm in Dayton, Ohio. I buy this orange Mercury. Uh, and uh, and I say, boy, this this car must really be popular. There are a lot of them on the lot. Well, there are a lot on the lot because it was the ugliest car in the world. It was a Mustang. It was a, a Mercury Cougar that was uh -huh. orange. It was ugly. Okay, this one tied maybe closer to what you're doing now. Who was the first president you ever voted for? Well, this is going to date me. Um, uh, probably Hubert Humphrey. 1968. Uh, uh, right? uh, he was going. I even knew then not to vote for Nixon, and that was 68. <laughs> <laughs> Carol King or Carly Simon? Oh, Carol King. I remember when Tapestry. You know, we just celebrated the 50th anniversary yeah. of Tapestry, yeah. and uh, and I love Carol King, the musical on Broadway. And uh, oh yeah, and I remember when Tapestry came out. Now. Uh, obviously, Carly Simon had a better voice. I mean, no one, you know, no one hired uh, Carol King for her voice, but her songs were just spectacular. So, oh, Carol yeah. Celebrity crush? Oh, George Clooney. I mean, he's. The <laughs> I mean, oh, she'll be happy to hear that. <laughs> Clooney. Well, my wife was. I love McCartney. I mean, my God, if McCartney walked in the room, I'd be toast. Yeah. Goodbye. Who? What's your favorite holiday? Everyone loves Thanksgiving. I mean, because you know. You know, if you're Jewish, you, you know, all the other holidays, you have to go to temple or read a prayer book <laughs> or, you know, whatever, yeah, or you got to give gifts on holiday. Yeah. Thanksgiving is the best. No temple, no, no gifts, nothing. no nothing, just eat. There's too much work involved in the others, now that you pointed out. Okay. Favorite vacation spot? Well, we, we've, we've taken to Aruba now because the weather's just been perfect every time. Yeah, so uh, just go, if you want to go sit on the beach, I can't wait to do that again. 
uh, I, I would pick Aruba, but we've been just, you know, I've been blessed. We've been, we took some great European trips, took a great African safari trip that was just tremendous, but just to pick a spot, if I had to go tomorrow, I'm going to Aruba. Favorite meal. If you had to pick a last supper. Really? This is getting gruesome. Yeah. Sorry about that. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking Chinese food. Okay. Uh, okay. Good old greasy spare ribs and some mushu pork and, you know, some, uh, you know, chicken, and you know, I'm, I'm good to go. I'm getting a little hungry myself right now. Uh, last question for me, favorite ballpark to watch a game? Well, I, I had to pick, I, I, well, I grew up at the old Yankee Stadium. So I'm going to go with the old Yankee the Stadium because mm -hmm. you would come out of the subway on the D train into the light yeah. And you could see the green grass. Well, Steinbrenner boarded it all up. So you couldn't look in from the subway station, but the, the old Yankee Stadium. But listen, I, I covered games at Fenway and Wrigley, and no, you can't beat those two spots either. So, Last question? First kiss. Uh-oh. Got to go. I, I, I don't remember. But <laughs> there haven't, there haven't been enough. any since Jill, and I met her in uh, uh, November of 1968. So she's the last wow. kiss. So uh, you guys, you're not close to 50 weddings. No, we are. We just hit 50th anniversary. You did? Oh, congratulations. Oh, yeah. That is amazing. It is unbelievable. It is unbelievable. And, 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 you know, people say it all the time. Where did the years go? I mean, it's just unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. I can't remember the first kiss. I don't know. And you've got, you've got three children? <laughs> three children, three grandchildren. Awesome. And uh, and whoever said that uh, the grandchildren are geniuses being raised by idiots, whoever came up with that, <laughs> Spot on. They got one. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll end it on that note of philosophy. Yeah. Len, thanks so much for taking some time. Really. Good luck with uh, as you continue with your radio adventure, and uh, hopefully people don't challenge you too much. And I have a favor to ask. Please send my regards to Michael and to Tom Cuddy. Well, Tom, oh, well Cuddy's the guy. I, uh, did I yeah. mention his name? I should have. Uh, he was the guy who decided that I could do something other than sports. It was Tom Cuddy. So yeah. I will say hello. Uh, um, from you and uh, and thanks and good luck with the podcast. It was a lot of fun. Thank thanks you. Much. Say hi to Jill and good luck with everything. Stay well, man. Thanks, guys. It's fun. Well, you know, you had the good fortune of working with him, Len Berman, for many years at NBC. Yeah. So you knew exactly what we were getting into. I've never actually met Len, but I've talked with him before. But God, what a pleasure he was. Yeah, I mean, Len was on the other side of the of the of the ocean liner called WNBC News because he would do the evening shows and I right. was in the morning. Right. But we would cross over, especially in the in the beginning, many, many uh, times I would fill in on the evening newscast and that's how I really got to get a little bit closer to Len. And, you know, he would always tease me that his his wife would wake up with me in the morning and not him. So that's because you're still sleeping from last night. But, but it, you know, I didn't expect anything less in terms of uh, just a great conversation, great storyteller. Yeah. And uh, it's funny. He remembered that story from when I first met him. I was about, yeah, maybe 12, 13 years old. That's wow. crazy. Yeah. But uh, a good shot in the arm, so to speak, for a positive stuff to talk about. And it's interesting to see. There's another example of a guy, well, not to be offensive, to say well into his his middle age years, yeah, shifting gears, going from being a sports television broadcaster to and reinventing host. himself. Yeah. yeah, there was a great quote uh, that I written down. He says, "Yes, I have other talents besides just reading sports news." And uh, the other thing was, I'm a newspaper guy who's become a radio guy. Mm -hmm. And you know, you'll hear a lot of people talk about that in terms of, especially television side. If you've come through newspaper and then radio. 
to television, usually you've really honed your skills and, and you're, you know, you're much better off from the get-go in television than if that's the first thing you've ever done in terms of broadcasting. You know, I always joke around and say that radio is the bastard stepchild <laughs> of all show business. Mm. Everybody, anybody could have in the old days worked in radio. I don't know about now, but... You think that, really? I, I, I thought radio was a bigger uh, entity back then in terms of uh, an area to you know perform in, so I thought it would be more competitive. Well, know? there were certainly fewer jobs back when you and I started. Yeah, right. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, again, everything everything evolves and everything changes, and, and that's what Len is in the process of doing. So, again, I want to thank him for taking some time out of his schedule Absolutely. and uh, spending it with us. So spanning with uh, Len Berman this time. Yeah. Any final thoughts? No. Um, we're into March, and it's hard to believe. Into March, baseball season getting ready to get started. Hopefully some flowers are getting ready to get started, although the way the weather's been going lately, uh, they're sitting under their... You're kidding. I'm not coming out anytime soon. Yeah, really. Uh, looks like it may get a little bit warmer in the east. We'll see what happens over the next few. But uh, everybody out there, sunshine always. Stay safe. Stay well. Till next time. Be good. Feel good. And we'll see you soon. Hey, if you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and rate the show on iTunes, preferably five stars, no begging. Uh, we're available also on your favorite directories, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. You can find us at Believe.com, that's B-L-E-A-V.com, and at Believe Podcasts. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.